Have you ever seen these books? Like, uh, you'd have like, uh, if you're a computer person and you didn't quite know how to run your computer, you, you could go out and buy a book called um, Windows for Dummies. Mac for dummies. And they've just got maybe hundreds of books on subjects for dummies. You ever felt like a dummy? Yeah, we've all felt like dummies. Well, you know, I like to live with information that's simple. I, I don't like complicated stuff. The older I get, the less complication I like. And in a lot of cases, I don't even want information I don't need. There's way too much information in the world for me to process. And unless I really need the information, I don't want it. And if I figure out there's information that I need, I'll ask for it. Does, can anybody relate to that? Because we live in such a technologically advanced society with so much information at our tips and just so much stuff, we, we, we get on overload sometimes. And, and sometimes also in, in, the, in, in assimilating knowledge and in rec- receiving information, um, you, you kind of get disoriented and confused as to which way to do something might be the best way to do something. So therefore... I have to keep it simple. Work on a farm, we have all kinds of machinery and equipment and stuff, you know, and if something tears up and I don't know how to fix it, I like to be there when the mechanic comes so he can, he can explain to me what's happened and I can fix it myself next time it tears up. Well, this morning we're going to do something simple. I won't call it good news for dummies. Yeah. What about, um, I can, we, could, we could do something else. We could call it Jesus for dummies. And it's not that we're dumb. That's not the point. It's that my Jesus, who came to die for me, he came in a simple way. And he lived a simple life. It was... It was tough now, but it was simple. And, and, and the things that he taught were simple. And when he went to the cross and, and died for me, he made salvation simple and uncomplicated. And what he offers me today in my life right now is simple instruction. That if I can just hang on and, and, and work with the simple principles that He's given me, how wonderful, how much more wonderful my life will be. Are y'all interested in some of that? Yeah. Let's talk about good news for dummies. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read several verses, um, which which is good. Let's you know I can read. This letter, now, now let me say something to start with. This letter was written 
by the Apostle Paul to a community in a place called Colossae that was in the Mediterranean Asian, uh, region of the earth in a place called Asia Minor. Okay. And Colossae was a town that they were, they were big in exports. They had a big wool manufacturing community. And on the trade route that they were on, that's the way they made their money and their community grew was through the, through the buying and, and buying, I mean, the selling of wool and the buying of other stuff. Until one day, and I think somebody's going to hear that. I'm about to say something that somebody came here needing to hear. Colossae did real good until the Romans took control in that region of the world and began to build roads for, for all, all over Asia Minor, all over the Mediterranean, all over Israel, all over down into North Africa, and even, even toward the east, toward Asia, that we know Asia to be. And they built these roads for rapid military transport to make it easier to get an army from one place to another as quickly as possible. And so by virtue of the road system, new trade routes developed. And Colossae was built on an old trade route. And the new trade route the Romans built was about 15 miles north in Laodicea. And so Paul, when he's writing this, is writing to a community that, main, that mainly felt like they had been overlooked and bypassed by the trade business now because things weren't as good as they used to be. They were living in an economically depressed environment. The glory days were gone. Sound familiar? And so he's writing this letter to some people who felt like they'd been bypassed. You need to listen to me now. Just because the world may build a different road upon which to travel does not mean Jesus is going to bypass you. There may be one or more persons in here this morning, and I think there probably is. You, th you think you've been bypassed for various reasons. For one reason or another, you think you've been bypassed. Either nobody cares, nobody's paying attention, or you've been rejected, wounded, and just sort of left out in the cold. Well, I'm here to tell you now, if, if you don't hear anything else I say today, you need to remember this, is that Jesus has not bypassed you. He's here for you. And so maybe today, maybe today you'll discover who he really is. Maybe today you'll feel that road beneath your feet and the presence in your heart that you need to carry on. Okay? This is the letter from Paul chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. We always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. Listen, he said, we've heard of your faith in Christ. Or in some versions, it's trust in Christ. 
and your love for all God's people. As you know, those are the two things that come at salvation. You, you have a trust, and you, you, you're given, you're given the, what's referred to as the germ of faith, the faith that saves you. It's the faith that moves mountains. It's the faith that gets you through your daily obstacles and trials. It's the faith that gets you through all sorts of uncertain circumstances. It's the faith that gets you through a broken heart. It's the faith that just, uh, the faith that you need. It's the first thing you get. But the second thing you get is, it's the love for God's people. Have you ever thought about this? And I mention this every once in a while occasionally. In this room today, other than faith in Jesus and love for each other, we may not have a whole lot in common. But because we've been saved and because Christ has placed us in His family, we can love each other and that's the basis of our fellowship. And a great diverse kind of people, just folks from all walks of life, men, women, boys and girls, people of all ages, uh, from all kinds of neighborhoods, from all kinds of cities, from all kinds of places in our region can come in. And by virtue of our trust in Christ and our, our love for each other, we can have fellowship. And because we can have fellowship, we can do incredible things for God. We can combine resources, we can, we can work together, we can go two by two like it says in the scripture. We can go out, we can uh, do mission work, we can do all kinds of things. It's our basis. And so those are the two things that come our way. That's simple. That's where this simple thing starts. This is good news for dummies. And we have that confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. Well, I tell you what, the things that gets people excited right after they save one of them is that they have a hope of heaven. They, they know they're going to heaven. Woo, that feels good. That God has got something reserved up for us in heaven. Now, I want to just say something here. I'm not going to go very far into this, but you need to be prepared. When you get to heaven, you need to be prepared for something a little bit more unusual than what your experience here on earth has been. Because it's not going to be like this. <laughs> it's not even remotely going to resemble anything we've had down here. We're actually going to, when Jesus comes and takes us home, we're actually going to step into, and I like to, I like to say this, we're going to step into the worship scenes in Revelation 4 and 5. Where there are these cherubims and seraphim flying around the throne saying, Holy, holy, holy. Where the 24 elders and uh, the four beasts are. And the sea of glass. And eternity just stretches on forever. And, and all the hosts of heaven. And this great scene of worship. It's going to be completely and totally different than it is down here. Because the activity is going to be oriented not on, you know, not on us. Not on what we feel left out of. Not on what we feel rejected from. Not on what we can't understand. But it's going to be based on the, on the Lamb of God. On Jesus and the Father. And there'll be worship and there'll be happiness and there'll be joy and there'll be peace and, and there'll be just so many things I can't describe for you. But it's not going to be like your existence today. I think that's good news for me.
I don't care how weird and how different it is, I want to be there. Matter of fact, if there's a weird section, I want, that's where I want to go. Yeah. Maybe, if, maybe there'll be a, a weird section, and I can spend thousands and thousands of years in there, and I say, okay, a little variety here. Oh, here's, here's a wild section over here. Yeah, let me, uh, let me come over here and check this out, and I stay here for a few thousand years. You know what I'm saying? Listen, you got to start thinking about these things. Because God is not dull and He's not boring. He's, he's not like we are. He's different. And I like His difference. But there's, there's something reserved in heaven for me. Some of you have lost loved ones. They've done passed on. They're up there. It might be grandmas and grandpas. It could be brothers and sisters. It might be a spouse. It might be a child. It might be a friend. You know, we've all got people up there. You know, I'm going to see those folks again. Folks I've never seen but I love, like my brother who died a couple years before I was born. You know, I got an ache in my heart for my brother. But see, there's a joy reserved in heaven for me. Never seen him. I don't even know what he looks like, but I guarantee you one thing, when I see him, I'll know him. Fact is, I tell you what I think. I'm going to spend a few thousand millennia just with him. We're just going to sit down and visit. Now, I could get sidetracked right now. I could just, I could go right on off. But you see what I'm saying? When we read the scripture and we begin to, to see what God has placed in there in terms of good news for us, we, we, we kind of need, need to stop and explore just a minute. Because God likes that. Because there's things that He's got laid up for us that we can't even imagine. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. In other words, it's, it's just it, uh, it's released in you, this expectation and love for heaven and the joy that awaits you. It's released in there. We've got stuff to do here, okay? So we don't need to get too tied up and, 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 and concentrate and spend too much time on what heaven might be for us because we've got to do stuff here and now. Okay? The same good news that came to you is going out in all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. I'll, I'll give you something to think about. I'm going to put it real plain for you. A lot of people today are absolutely terrified the way the Muslims and, and radical Muslimism, radical Islam is infiltrating the earth and what it's bringing. Would you, would you just like to gander a guess as to why that's happening? The last days, it's a sign of the end times. Things coming to a head. Okay, what else? Why would that be happening? Is it, is it because Muslims or radical Islam hates uh, Western capitalism? That's another reason. And they hate the West. They hate America and American ideals. They hate that. Because our culture doesn't, form culture doesn't conform culturally with what their culture is. And so we're different. I'll give you something else to think about. I'll tell you one reason it's not. It is not because 
Listen to this. This may be hard to swallow. It, may, it is not because Jesus is weak. And it's not because God is failing. And it's not because it has escaped His control. How to put this? The reason this is happening is because the good news is going all over the world and it's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as it has changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. A lot of this is happening because Jesus is at work and because people are getting saved in masses in the Muslim world. And radical Islam, the demon behind this, the principality behind this, the force behind this, is scared and angry because it's losing control. And so the same wonderful good news that gives you a hope, that gives you joy, that gives you peace, that brought salvation to you and changed your lives. Listen, the gospel is working all over the earth today. And as a matter of fact, the coming out of many um, religious groups in the earth is actually stimulating Christian growth, or, or growth in numbers of Christians. For example, did y'all read David McDonald's post yesterday about what's going on in Norway? Last four or five, Norway has been sort of a quiet little Slavic country, Scandinavian country. Uh, they have dropped, the Christian voice has dropped down to 5% or less in the country. They've just been sort of non, just give her, you know, just they weren't religious and they didn't believe a lot. They just kind of went on with life. Until a few years ago, other faith groups began to move into Norway and, it, and, and in a way, I think it kind of began to scare them because it was affecting their culture and changing things. And so it sort of awakened, as, uh, as the story goes, it sort of awakened their desire to explore spirituality. And guess what's happened? The Bible is now the largest selling book in Norway. People, people are so far away from, from the good news it's not been taught in so long. It's not been spoken about so long. Jesus hasn't really been revealed in, the, in, in, their, in, their, in their hearts in so long that they forgot about it. And now the simple Bible stories is just pulling them. As a matter of fact, there's a play going on over there right now, and they put it on film, and they're sending it to lots of the cities and in the theaters. It's called the Bible. Isn't that cool? And it's being done in simple ways. Jesus, I'm telling you now, Jesus is working. Not only here, but He's working in the earth. And He's working in, 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 the, in all the, the, the corners of the earth that's sort of out of the way and people don't pay attention to anymore. I'm telling you all, this thing Jesus is doing in the earth is incredible. The enemy wants you to think there's nothing to it. But that's a lie. Okay? Next. The truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, um, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful service. And he's helping us on your behalf. 
He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit's given you, this unnatural love that we have. Uh, this, it's just it's unnatural, this supernatural love He's given us. The capacity not only to love each other, but uh, to love our enemies and people who would despitefully use us. That's supernatural. If you've ever forgiven anybody, that don't come from natural. That comes from supernatural. Okay? So we've not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of His will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. See, that's not natural either. That's part of this good news. The fact that you can ask God for knowledge of His will and for Him to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding and it'll happen. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. I mean... This is about it. It's about growing. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all His glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. You ever needed endurance and patience? Have you got a, have, have you, let me ask you this. Have you got a surplus of patience yet? Come on now, tell me. Just be truthful. Have you, got a, have you got a surplus? Have you got enough to get you through today and probably maybe halfway through next week? Have you got that much patience? <laughs> I would venture to say probably not. If you think you do, then probably before the night's over, you're going to really need some. Because somebody will challenge it, won't they? <laughs> Listen, that's why we've got to ask him. We, we need this patience and we need endurance. You know, sometimes the race gets a little hard. Sometimes just putting one step in front of the other in terms of faith gets a little difficult. Sometimes you've got to get tired more out. You ask God for endurance, you'll get it. May you be filled with joy. Oh, listen. Joy. Are you filled with joy today? That supernatural, abounding, overflowing, in the face of the enemy's attempts to ruin your day, joy? You know, he'll do that. Always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. See, this is our inheritance. It's the capacity to trust Jesus. The capacity to love each other. The capacity to have joy and patience. The capacity to have spiritual wisdom and understanding. The capacity to know his will. That's your inheritance. If you ever wanted to know what you have in Jesus, that's part of it. Not something you have to work up, but something that is yours. Why? Because you belong to Him. It's your birthright. It is really not anything that can be denied you. God's not even going to deny you those things Himself. It is His heart for you to have all those things. See, that's the good news. That's the simple good news of things. The problem is the enemy has twisted and distorted our capacity to understand what our inheritance and what our birthright is. 
He has lied to us and He's told us God is distant. Jesus doesn't care about us anymore. Everything you do is futile. You're not good for this. You're too dumb for that. You don't have the resources of the other. You can't do this. He keeps telling you, you can't, you can't, you can't. And the problem is we buy into His lie so many times that we forget who we are. I'm telling you now, people, we need to rise up. We need to get our minds situated where God has situated Himself. The Scripture says we need to take every thought captive. When the enemy whispers in your ear, you can't or you are not what God says you are or what you can do, when He says no, you need to remember, God has done said yes. You don't have to ask for that twice. Well then, pastor, how do we do that? You simply are. You clear your head, you get your mind lined up with what God says you can do and who you are, and guess what will happen? The Scripture says, resist the enemy and he'll flee from you. You have to take his pack of lies and go somewhere else. So see, everything is about, number one, who he is, but who he says you are. You're not dumb, you're not stupid, you're not cursed, you're not sick, you're not any of that. Because God has not anywhere said you're those things. What He has said, He says, you are loved, you are blessed, you are mine, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, my blood has cleansed you from all sin, all debts are canceled, you're mine, and when all this is wrapped up and done up, you're going to be with me forever. That's what He said. You realize what would happen if the entire body of Christ could capture and, and understand and get a, get a grip on who they are. Can, can we possibly conceive what would happen in our homes and in our schools and in our community, in our, in our businesses, in our neighborhoods? Into the, into the, can, can you even conceive what could happen at the jails and the hospitals? They'd empty out. See, I'm just dumb enough to believe that's possible. See, in the history of revival, those things have happened. Where God would come so strong in the renaissance in a community and a revival in the streets that nobody was doing anything against the law anymore and they didn't have any use for the jail, so they closed it. Documented. Isn't that cool? That is so cool. <laughs> yeah, we better go on. For he has, oh gosh, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. In other words, you are no longer where you used to be. You might be wearing the same clothes. You might live in the same house. You may be driving the same vehicle. You may have the same employer. You might be in the same grade at school. But I'll tell you one thing. Where you were, you were surrounded and cloaked in a kingdom of darkness and pain and discomfort and no hope. And what he's done is he's come in there and like snatching something out of the fire that was not supposed to be burned and destroyed. He's reached in there. He's pulled you out. And he's made you new. And he's put you in a new place. It's called the kingdom. The unfortunate thing is some people believe 
that they've been rescued from hell and transferred into the church. I'm sorry, let's just be real here. If that's, if that's what happened, if that's the best Jesus could do, no, then we would, there would be a lot of misery accounted to Jesus and to His people that He never intended. Jesus hasn't saved you to just put you in a church. Now, there's good things the church can do. The unfortunate thing is, is we've, we've lost sight how to use the church like Jesus intended, and therefore, a lot of people are in churches and they're absolutely, totally miserable. And they're thinking after they've been saved six months, it was better off of me than before. This hadn't done me a bit of good. And they go home simply because what they've experienced is nothing but the, but the church. The church is good for teaching and, and equipping and fellowshipping. It's good for those things. But I'll tell you something. What's the difference in the church and the kingdom? The church is, 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 is in the earth, but it's the kingdom, of, it's the kingdom is where Jesus' rule and reign is demonstrated openly. It's in the kingdom of God where people are saved, where people are healed, laid hands on, people are healed. It's in the kingdom of God where demons have to flee. It's in the kingdom of God where you, where you can lay hands on a casket and the dead be raised. It's in the kingdom of God where everything about your life can suddenly and, and absolutely just in the blink of an eye be different. It's where, it's where Jesus rules and reigns and it's where you rule and reign with Him. It's where you jointly administrate the principles upon which order is. Supernatural order. That's what it is. And so He's taken you. If He's saved you, He's snatched you out of the darkness where there's nothing but death and pain and misery and no hope. And He's put you in something that is inexhaustibly wonderful. And it's by following the Holy Spirit that you learn who you are. Because a lot of us have been mistaught. And we don't really understand what we were designed and created for. Hence, good news for dummies. Isn't that great? I mean, listen. You could translate, listen. If you could translate 1 Colossians into every language on earth, and give every person who'd just been born again a copy of that. They could read that thing and get everything right. I'm telling you, 1 Colossians, you could read it and get everything right. Right here. Let's go a little further. I'll show you. Christ, now he sort of shifts gear here. He talks about Jesus. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through Him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. In other words, Jesus Christ was not a stranger when He was born in that manger by Mary. He was not a stranger to His circumstances or His surroundings because He existed before anything was made. And He created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities. 
in the unseen world. Now listen. <laughs> um, we have been called lots of things because we believe there are things we can't see in the natural, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities, and the unseen world. We all, because we believe that we can, God gives us glimpses of those things. And when He's doing stuff in the unseen realm, He, he, he allows us to see those things. Kind of weird, isn't it? See what God is doing? Oh, no, no, it's not because Jesus did. He knew what God was doing. He knew what God was up to because he participated with God in what he was doing. Now, if you're a person who participates with God in what he's doing, then guess what? You're seeing into an unseen world. If, if God gives you a vision or a dream, then he's allowing you to see into an unseen world. It would just make sense that if He's in us, He's in heaven. Now, here's, here's the cool thing about Jesus. He's in heaven, seated by the right hand of God the Father. We know that because it's in the Word that way. But we also know He is resident in us. Now, if He's there and He's here at the same time, what that means is there's a link between heaven and earth where I am. That means that there's a window opened up in the spirit realm into my heart so that Information from heaven can flow from there to here. Now you may be thinking, boy, here's a weird nut. I'm not so weird. You mean to tell you why? Because when you pray and you believe you get an answer from God from your prayers, what is that? Jumper cables. <laughs> jumper cables. Yes, jumper spiritual cables. jumper cables. And what that is, is that is a conduit. It's a gate. It's a passageway from this other world that we can't see into the world in which we live. It's Jesus manifesting heaven's heart in our earth where we are. Now, once we can kind of get a handle on that and begin to absorb it, we can begin getting stuff. Okay? This is how it works. Now, you're not going to hear a lot of this being said in churches. You know why? Would anybody like to gather a, garner a guess why? And I'm sorry, I just, you know. Because they've forgotten the power. They've forgotten the power. But also, here's the other thing. It's a good answer. The church, many, not, not all, but, but some in the church world want you to know only what the leadership will tell you, what the pastor will give you, what the denomination says is just and right and so. And so if you, start, if you, really, if you really start getting a handle on who Jesus is and you really begin to begin operating as a co-heir with Him and as a co-administrator with Him in things pertaining to the kingdom, 
and evangelism and all this other stuff. If you really begin that, then it's going to threaten some folks. It's the way it is. I'm sorry. God doesn't work that way. God has a different set of rules that govern everything out there, even the stuff that we can't see because everything was created through Him and for Him. In other words, it's all His. Everything. Next. He existed before anything else and He holds all creation together. Did you know this world, this galaxy, this universe, everything that there is, all the suns, all the moons, all the stars, the earth upon which we stand, this building that we're in, if it were not for Jesus holding this thing together, it would just, it would just fly all apart. But Jesus is not going to let that happen because He has invested in the earth. He has invested in the creation. He has, he has ex- expended His creative energy in something and made it absolutely beautiful. And He will not release it and just let it go far-flung into nothing and destroy itself, even though it may seem it's on a self-destructive course. See, that's one of the differences between God and humanistic thinking. Humanistic thinking says, well, it's just all becoming chaotic and anarchy is everywhere and everything's going away. It's all going to explode. It's going to come to no end. We're going to be hit by some asteroid. You know what I think? Well, I believe, number one, Jesus is not into that. But if we were going to be hit by an asteroid or something, that happened a long time ago. This big old comet or something coming and just hitting us like a um, mortar and blowing it everything to bits? That's, no. There's glory in His creation, and He's going to get glory from it. Christ is also the head of the church, which is His body. He is the beginning supreme overall who rides from the dead, so He is first at everything. For God in all His fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through Him God reconciled everything to Himself. You know what reconciliation means? Everything that was wrong between God and His creation, which was brought about by sin in the earth, when Christ came, according to His blood on the cross, Jesus balanced all the books. It's a total reconciliation. God is not... God is not angry with the world and He's not angry with you. That's a novel concept to some people, isn't it? Why would God be angry with the people Jesus came to die for? Why would would God be angry when the Scripture says He is love? Is that to say God won't judge stuff? Yeah, He judges stuff. But His characteristic is not an angry old codger waiting to whop you with some big stick. It's not His nature. His nature is to love you and to nurture what He has created. So He reconciled. He balanced everything out so that grace could exist, so that we could have access to Him. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Christ's blood brought peace between everything there is. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were His enemies separated from Him by your evil thoughts and actions. 
Yet now He has reconciled you to Himself through the death of Christ in His physical body. As a result, He has brought you into His own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before Him without a single fault. Leave this there. We might get confused in everything. Yet now He has reconciled you to Himself through the death of Christ in His physical body. As a result, He's brought you into His own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before Him. We might get confused about a lot of stuff, but you listen to me. Blameless as you stand before Him without a single fault. Let everyone who is cast down because they think their past disqualifies them from enjoying God's good today, let them realize that you don't have a single fault between you and God. You stand before Him blameless without any speck of fault from your past. Let everybody who thinks what they just did this morning is going to disqualify them from being in His presence and being used by Him as a tool to bless people in the earth. Let them realize that they are blameless before Him. Let everybody who thinks their destiny has been ruined because of the way they live their life. In other words, God can't take something bad and make good about it. Let that person know that you are blameless before the Lord. You hear me now. The Word of God says that as you sit in this place, there's not one single fault held against you. And we've been preaching this, and we've been preaching this, and we've been preaching this, and we're finally beginning to get a little illumination on it. But it's something that we are uncomfortable with hearing because the enemy has lied to us all our life. And people have cursed us with their voices saying, Oh, you'll never amount to nothing. You're never going to be good enough. Jesus wouldn't have you. Who do you think you are? And this and that and the other. People have cursed us and the enemy has lied to us. And so it's going to take a little bit. But I want you to get a glimmer of your freedom this morning and the joy God has with you by realizing that you are blameless as you stand before Him without a single fault. If it's a lie, God said so. I'm just bold enough to put it out there that way. And if He says, I am without a single fault, I'm without a single fault. And there is nothing the devil or anybody else can do about that. Everybody take a deep breath. Is this making sense? Is this giving you a little liberty? A little freedom? A little hope? What? King James Version says beyond above reproach. Um, that without a single fault is above reproach. It's not just faultless. It's they cannot say anything bad about you. Okay, now, if God says nobody can say anything bad about you, and He's jealous over you with the godly jealousy, and He's loved you with an everlasting love, I wonder what it's going to be like when people who try to hold something against you, when they have to answer to Him. There you go. And I think, 
a lot of times that's our problem. We hold things against ourselves because we believe the lie. See, Jesus has reconciled everything to God. That's how glorious this chapter is. And we stand before Him without a single fault. Okay? But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. Those of you who, are, who have your salvation experience fresh in your mind, maybe those of you who uh, have been walking with the Lord for a long time, um, <laughs> when you first heard the good news, when you first heard the gospel and you, were, you received Jesus and you were saved, there was an assurance that you had. There was this, there was this godly confidence that you had. There was this joy that you had. It's called assurance of your salvation. And it was wonderful. Unfortunately, a lot of people will fall away or drift away from their assurance. Some people would say, They've fallen away or drifted away from the faith they had or lost their faith they had. No, 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 no. No, no, no. People drift away from the assurance they received when they heard the good news. It's that assurance they drift away from. So a lot of people, if you know somebody who appeared to have drifted away from the faith or drifted, you know, drifted away from the Lord, it doesn't necessarily mean they've backslidden. What it could mean is that they have drifted away from the assurance they had because assurance is like, is like hope. It's like an anchor for the soul. It's just slipped away for various reasons. And if that happens, we need to go after those people. We do. Maybe you know people like that. Maybe you have some people in your family. Maybe we have some people like that in our church. Maybe you have some friends like that just kind of drifted away from the assurance of their faith. It doesn't make them a bad person. It just simply makes them... Someone who has believed the lie of the enemy ahead of the truth of the Lord. What else we got left there, Kim? I'm glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I'm participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it's been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this, and this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing His glory. Christ lives in you. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. So we tell others about Christ. That is the primary sentence on our job description or our mission statement 
concerning other people. We tell others about Christ. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God's given us. We want to present them perfect to God in their relationship with Christ. Or in other words, good news for dummies. He's so, he's so good. He's, he's so simple. He's uncomplicated. After salvation and the baptism with the Spirit, how to say this? After baptism, our principal work is involved in two areas. Number one, it's developing a working knowledge about who we are in Jesus and what we have access to. That's number one. Second thing is, Sharing Jesus with other people. Those are the two things. Those are the two things we're hardest after here. And you know what? The devil's not going to like it. Some of your friends are not going to like it. And you're probably going to be called weird somewhere along the way, and you're probably going to be called a Jesus freak. And you'll be, you know, it's, it's possible folks will say all kind of stuff about you. Let me ask you a question. What does it matter most? What others say about you or what Jesus says about you? Or perhaps I need to say it this way. What matters most? What other people say about you or what God has already said about you? It's what God has already said about you what matters. Now see, whenever I came along into this preaching thing, there were churches up home where I grew up I never got an invitation to preach. You know why? Because they knew the old me. Yeah, I even got word. One of them churches sent me, sent me word by a friend to don't even, don't even think about coming. <laughs> to tell you this story, I'll, we'll close with this. It's the truth, so help me. I was preaching at what they bill or what they advertise as the largest primitive Baptist church in the world which ain't that big. First time ever over that way. And of course, you know, you have this big old stage and you've got a big old podium and you've got all this furniture up there and uh, they got a special place for the pastor to sit. And so as they was playing the music, I came in and I sat down looking out at everybody. And uh, I looked at the back, in the back, and in the door walked a fellow that I knew and had worked with and had a, had a working relationship with for several years. We just knew each other. He came in. I never saw, I, he was the last person in the world I ever thought I'd see walk in a church. So I saw him come in. He took a bulletin from the greeter, and he was just looking at the bulletin on the way down, and he just kind of looked. He'd smile, and he'd nod, and he'd stop and shake somebody's hand every once in a while. And he'd just kind of come on down probably to the third row to my right. And I was just watching him. He hadn't seen me yet. And so um, he sat there for just a minute or two. And, you know, when I'm 
up at the front and he's three rows down, there's not a whole lot of things you can see or look at in the building. And so he looked up and he was smiling. He looked up at me. And the smile left his face and he opened his bulletin and he looked down. And he saw in there where uh, our guest speaker today is Keith Smith. He looked back up at me. He looked back down at the bulletin. He closed it and laid it down. And he had the most awful look on his face because he knew he couldn't go anywhere. Of course, to be truthful and just to be fair, you know, when I saw him... I thought that would be the last person I'd ever see in a church. When he saw me, he probably thought that I was the last person he'd ever see preaching. <laughs> and so we were kind of reconciled, I guess. She's kind of balanced. But we made it through it. I haven't seen him since. And so I trust God for the benefit of our time together there. And I trust God for the benefit of our time this morning. And um, what I want to do is this. I'm going to do something a little different. Natasha, could you give us just a little bit on the keyboard just a second? And, uh, I realize that while this message of good news is simple, you may have heard something today that you've never heard before, or you may have heard something that you've heard before, but today it's just the first time it's sunk in. What you've heard is the message of God's grace. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to invite you. If you need Jesus, if this has made sense, we're going to invite you to come forward and receive him. Also, at the same time, we're going to invite you. If this is the first time you've heard this and you want to hear more, you want to learn more, Come up here, we'll pray with you. Maybe, maybe you just don't need salvation. Maybe you just simply need a fresh start. And this is where you can get a fresh start. So let's stand up just a second. Also, if you're sick and you need healing, you need to come up here. Because we believe on laying hands on people and praying and they'll be healed. Simple as that. So what let's do is let's, uh, let's just pray. If you need salvation, come. If you just need a fresh start, come. If you need healing, come. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we just love you. And as we've seen this morning, there's absolutely nothing outside the realm of your control and your power. From salvation, dear God, to growth and maturity, to opportunity in the kingdom, for understanding your will and your purpose for us. We, uh, none of those things are, are out of the realm of your power and, 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 and your blessing. So, God, we ask you for that. We ask you this morning, dear God, to heal folks who are sick. If there's anybody sick this morning, we need to see you. Heal folks who are sick. Somebody needs a fresh start, Lord. Open the door for them to have a fresh start. In Jesus' name.